Welcome to the 517 Life Podcast, a ministry of The Exchange. I'm Heather May, joined by Tracy Lee and Carrie Puckett. We're talking today with therapist Anna Maria Dempsey about anxiety, depression, and mental health. It's likely that you or someone close to you has struggled or is struggling with anxiety and depression. On this episode, we talk about how to know when it's time to talk to a therapist or a doctor, how to sit with someone who is experiencing suffering, and healthy practices to support mental health. Join us for our conversation as we shed light on these topics with therapist Anna Maria Dempsey. We are so excited today to have Anna Maria Dempsey with us. Hey, Anna Maria, thank you for joining us. Anna Maria is a therapist. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your career, how you got into being a therapist. I'm currently married to my husband, Drew. And um, I grew up in a family, uh, the youngest of four, with all brothers. And I got into the counseling field because when I was 19, right before I went to college, some stuff with my family started kind of falling apart. And my mom brought me to a counselor. And I loved it. I just, it was this person that was, it was this older, you know, godly woman who was just, helped me make sense of what was going on. And she really encouraged me to stay in counseling once I went off to college, and I did. And so I met with the counselor all throughout college and honestly was the most probably impactful thing I did in college. And at the end of college, when I was thinking about what I want to do next, the Lord uh, said the word counselor, to which I said, I'm going to pretend I did not hear that. (laughs) And he just kept putting stuff and stuff in my lap that was evident to, you know, make grad school happen, make a job that works with grad school happen. And so um, I followed and I went with it. And so I got a degree in marriage and family therapy. And it is the greatest thing ever done. I would never change it. And so I get to now give people what I've been given through my own experience in therapy. And I love it. So what did you study in undergrad? So I studied international studies. I wanted to be a diplomat. Oh. Um, And then I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And so that was why it was even funnier when um, God said therapist, (laughs) because I was real ready to like prosecute all the bad guys. (laughs) And the next thing I'm going to be, you know, handing you a Kleenex. Um, But it was kind of also this message of like the people I wanted to, in my head, prosecute and get justice for the Lord was kind of like, you can actually give them these victims a lot more justice long-term with like healing. That's awesome. And so where did you go to get your MFT? I went to a reform theological seminary in Jackson. That's awesome. Small world because I am actually about to go to grad school at Reformed Theological <gasps> Seminary for a degree in counseling. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Good job. I am registered for classes and I start next month. Oh my goodness. So you're yeah. going to, it is, it is no joke. It is so hard. It is harder than anyone tries to explain to you, but it will like change you for ever in the best way. It's a wonderful program. I'm sure there's a lot of great counseling programs all over the country, but <laughs> shout out to Reform Seminary. They have a really good one. <laughs> That's awesome. Carrie, what was it that drew you to want to pursue a degree in counseling? Well, it's funny because it sounds a little bit similar to your story. Um, I didn't go to counseling when I was a teenager, but I went to college as a theater major wanting Ooh. to be an actor and got all the way through that and realized I did not want the lifestyle that an actor has to have as mm. far as... I just like job security and knowing where I'm going to be for a little while and that kind of stuff. And so I kind of switched to the arts admin side of things. But ultimately, that led me into working in fundraising. So right now, I'm a fundraiser for a nonprofit organization. Did that for five years. Was very stressful. So Mm -hmm. that kind of sent me into counseling myself in my 20s, mid-20s, just to deal with some of the stress because I got promoted a couple of times and just... um, added responsibility and imposter syndrome and just, you know, life really. So, and I had such a great experience with my counselor who also went to Reform Theological Seminary and thought when I was done there, I was like, man, I think I could do this. I think I would like to help people in the same way that I was helped. And so that's what led me into wanting to make a career change here in my late 20s, I guess, (laughs) you know. 
that's not that late in life. <laughs> I literally <laughs> asked the admissions counselor, I was like, am I like a non-traditional student? <laughs> but I think it's fine. No, they've had um, people much, much older make the career change. And yeah. it's, it's worked out fine. Yeah. There's never, it's never too late to... Absolutely. So I'll have to pick your brain about all things RTS later. But what we really wanted to talk to you about was um, in this season of pandemic and such, you know, I feel like a lot of women already struggle with some elements of anxiety and depression in regular life. Mm -hmm. And this pandemic, I'm sure, can really exacerbate that for a lot of people. So we just wanted to ask you some questions as a therapist about that topic and um, to pick your brain. Our message is mainly for women. So what would you say, or what maybe what do you see in women as a whole when it comes to anxiety and depression issues? Is there something that you see in women that is common? Maybe some common causes, or is this a thing that you see a lot in women? So there's a lot of different things um, that go into the answer. The first thing is, you know, there's, unfortunately, there's a little bit of a stigma for women of being like emotional, using air quotes. Um, and that being a bad thing, or, you know, I think we learn that we kind of need to not be too much or keep it together. Mm-hmm. And so w- women are wrestling with that. That's part one. The second part, as far as this presenting for me with women, I don't think is, is that it's more um, common in women. It's that women are more um, easily okay to come and find help. I think it's just as is completely just as common in men. I just think men are less likely to report it um, because they also have a stigma of like tough it out and be strong. And so it's kind of a two sided coin. So, of of course, I do see it in women. um, But that's not to say that I don't think it's equally going on with men. I think they've just they just aren't as likely to report it due to the stigma that we have, you know, not only in society, but definitely in the church. Um, it's definitely gotten better in the last decade for me. Um, what I've seen sort of, you know, when I started going to counseling, it was not something I was telling my friends. It was not, was not this top table topic. Um, whereas now it's pretty common for me to see lots of things on my Facebook feed on, um, all over social media. It's, it's definitely getting a, a little bit more, um, normalized. But yeah, I think it's it can be very difficult for women to feel like they are um, something is wrong with them if they mm-hmm. are having anxiety or depression. Um, and oftentimes, studies have shown that people are going to go to a clergy member before they're going to go to a professional counselor. Like when there's just any sort of crisis in a person's life, they're going to go to a clergy member first. And sometimes, it, the, the clergy member may just not be knowledgeable or equipped. Um, and depending how that initial contact goes, um, that can kind of also make or break if the person's willing to seek further help, um, or even at least feel like what they're experiencing is real. Mm-hmm. I have a question because we're talking about stigmas and mm-hmm. you mentioned clergy, you're a person of faith yes, and you're also a counselor. Mm-hmm. There has been, um, several negative connotations mm-hmm. about people of faith needing it. Yes, because it's like, well, I just need to have faith that God will fix this Mm -hmm. or maybe I just don't have enough joy or I just don't have these things. But it really does help to talk it out. I think that's why the Bible says when there are two or three gathered together and Mm -hmm. the emphasis on fellowship and helping each other work that out. If somebody is struggling with that stigma Mm -hmm. of um, I shouldn't feel this way, I've got everything. God has truly blessed me. Why am I having such a hard time dealing with this? What would you say to that person that may be hesitant on seeking counseling? I would say that the two are not mutually exclusive. You know, we, we, we don't have ultimate fear. We know that we are secure in Christ. But we can have that faith that God is our is sovereign, God is going to provide, and still have fear be present. You know, when, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, I mean, clearly I haven't talked to him personally, but I'd like to think Abraham was a little concerned. Yeah. Like, I know I've got to obey, but I'm really hoping you're going to do something here. And in that, so in that time of obedience, he had faith that God was going to provide 
but I'm sure he had some anxiety and fear in that moment. Mm -hmm. And of course he, you know, God did send a ram and, and God provided, but that's just one of many examples where I think that faith, faith and fear like can coexist. You know, I can, I can know that God is going to provide, um, through this pandemic, whether it's financially or Mm -hmm. physically health wise. Um, but I still may experience a little bit of, um, panic and anxiety. And that's, that's honestly how our brain is wired. Our brain is a, an organ created by God. And it, it has these certain mechanisms that are meant to set off when there's a perceived threat. And so it's just something natural that's going to happen the same way any other kind of physical organ would happen. And if we're, if we would go see a doctor because we had cancer, um, I don't, I mean, would you say it's a lack of faith that I choose to do chemo instead of just have faith that I'll get better? Right. Probably not. Okay. Honestly, all right, let me, let me get personal here for a second. I had a place on my leg that I thought was a spider bite and, you know, did what you would think a spider bite would did. It's been there for like months. I'm sad to say, I was just like, well, it's not getting better. And then all of a sudden it got worse. And I prayed for that thing to be healed. Like I prayed and last week in my journal, I wrote, what did I do wrong? Mm. because it didn't get better like Mm -hmm. did am I lacking faith Mm -hmm. did I miss a step did I do something because I always turn it internally and I think that we all have a tendency to do that but when I went to the doctor Mm-hmm. found out it was a staph infection and it could have been very serious to the point where it, it could have put my life in jeopardy had I not gone through with it and gone to a doctor that could help me and it's the same thing that you're saying health and mental health wise mm-hmm. So if you are struggling with something like that, first of all, we're talking about depression and anxiety, but what is, what is anxiety? Like if you could pinpoint it or give some kind of roundabout definition of, are you dealing with anxiety? What are the questions that you would ask? Again, this comes down to biological. Um, There are, like I said, these different mechanisms in your brain, and I'm not going to get into all that (laughs) because I could totally nerd out on some neuroscience, but you know, so there's this thing in the center of your brain called the amygdala, and it is what alerts us. That's what, if you've heard fight or flight, that is what that is. It's the, it alerts you of, of a perceived threat. Um, you think about if you saw something slithering in the side of your peripheral vision. Yeah, I'm out. You might, you're going to think, <laughs> yeah, I'm it's out. a snake, it's something. That's your amygdala going off saying, alert, alert. And so with anxiety, that's what it is. You're getting, um, if there's a perceived threat, for whatever reason, something going on in your life. Uh, maybe it's a fear of failing your grades. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's um, your parent is sick. It's a biological response. And so there are things that go along with that, like maybe difficulty sleeping, like fast heart rate. So there's there's physiological things I can ask a person to, um, you know, figure out if that's what they're experiencing. And then what happens is if someone has been ex- exposed to extended amounts of stress and anxiety through their life, uh, maybe a difficult situation, difficult childhood, you can develop what's called an anxiety disorder. And that's where your amygdala is kind of overactive and you're anxious when there isn't a perceived imminent threat. Um, And then that's something that at that point people usually will come to therapy for. They may talk to a doctor about um, to be able to kind of manage that to where it's, like I said, the normal level of like, oh, my amygdala should go off. Mm Versus it's going off and there's absolutely no threat going on. So what would you say would be some of the most common causes that you see of anxiety in women? So several things. There can be, I mentioned, you know, childhood, you know, kind of experiences that can predispose a person to having frequent anxiety. But there's also just life season things, you know, anxiety about um the safety of your children, the safety of, um, your, yourself. So there's some things around that that can affect women just differently than, you know, that's obviously maternal. And so not everyone is a mother, but I hear about like social anxiety a lot. I hear a lot of people, a lot of women that say I have social anxiety, meaning maybe they're worried about the way that they look. Yeah. And so so avoiding places where a lot of people might be, yeah. So again, obviously all these things are not, you know, obviously just isolated to women, but 
social anxiety is definitely something that I see, again, at least more reported in women, because social anxiety kind of stems from this fear that you're going to be somewhere and look wrong or say something wrong. And so it is, it is kind of this preoccupation with um, think, people thinking poorly of you or judging you. Um, and that, to me, most of the time, again, kind of stems from sort of a childhood child rearing aspect of if that was if there were things that were constantly brought to your attention about you know say the right thing do the right thing look the right way um anxiety can really come from it can be all sorts of things that spark that anxiety is that what I'm hearing oh absolutely there's the options are limitless you know think about when people are have a phobia like arachnophobia fear of spiders um claustrophobia fear of small places the list of phobias is so long because there's so many things that can invoke fear for somebody for whatever reason. Um, oh. And so that's, it's not like there's a one certain thing. Yeah. Um, there's some things that could be common, you know, like college students experience stress if they're stressed, anxiety if they're stressed about grades. Yeah. Seasonal life changes can obviously um, make things feel more stressful than others. Um, you know, Carrie mentioned her job. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she was in a position where it was invoking a lot of stress. Like, am I going to, get the things done that need to get done um but there's definitely no limit to the things that can cause any one person anxiety I remember a few years ago I can't remember exactly how many maybe like um five or six years ago now and I don't normally take to Facebook to ask questions that's just not kind of my personality but for whatever reason this day I did because something happened to me that was I'd never experienced before all of a sudden I could not breathe I could mm-hmm. not, um, I could not catch my breath and it was out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It was on a chill day. Things were going great. Didn't have like a lot of stress on that day. Um, started feeling some numbness mm-hmm. and I thought, am I having a heart attack? I'm, I'm like not even 30 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, what is happening to me? And so for whatever reason, I ended up, um, going on Facebook and saying like, okay, this is happening to me. Has anybody ever experienced this? And overwhelmingly, this was the first time I was introduced to having a panic attack. Right. Never heard that before. Didn't even know what that was. And the strange, and so people kept commenting, oh, you're having a panic attack. Yep. Nope. that. Very mm-hmm. clearly, this is what it is. And I'm like, what in the world is a panic attack? Read about it. And then I thought, that's so weird. I was having a chill day. Yep. Just nothing particularly stressful going on in my life. That's super common for people. I, was, I realized I had been having panic attacks. Over a couple of years before I had any idea that that was happening, I just, it would just happen and I'd be like, oh, it's one of these things, <laughs> you know, just hang around till it passes. Um, and then I saw a doctor um, just to have a checkup and mention that was happening. And she was, she said, let me ask you a few questions. And she asked me a few questions and said, you have generalized anxiety disorder. And it blew my mind because I, I was I was like, excuse me, what? Like, I I had been going to counseling at that point, but it was like, wait, it's kind of weird for me. You're, like, calling this a disorder. You're yeah. talking about medicine. What is yeah, this? Yeah, it just it, got I, serious. I, yeah. I, it got serious, but I'm not going to lie. I was like, what does this mean about me as a Christian? Like, did I just cross over to, yeah. like, the dark oh, side? Oh, that's yeah. so good that you brought that up. I feel and like a lot, don't you think a lot of people so of much. faith, especially people in the church, oh, absolutely. feel like that? Mm-hmm. So kind of... If you, how much you would feel comfortable sharing about what that process was like for you as you kind of. I had a lot of shame. I was, I was 21 years old. You know, I'm not a child, but I was, I was scared to death to tell my mom. I didn't want my siblings to know. Um, I didn't want my friends to know. Um, I told my one best friend who was my roommate because one, I trusted her, but two, I was like, I'm going to start taking this and I need you to pay attention if, if something crazy happens or, um, and within three days of taking it, I felt I felt so much relief. I didn't realize the level of physiological anxiety I had been living with. And I mean, I still have anxiety, but I mean, medicine has been a huge just asset. It's kind of like living with allergies when you could just take Zyrtec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're still going to, you know, maybe get a stuffed up nose, but not near to the extent that you would if you weren't taking anything. And so that's kind of how, how, how it was for me it was I had a lot of shame I can't think when exactly I got honest about it it's not something I you know go tell everyone but um for sure with my patients 
I don't recommend it to everyone, but there's some who it, it is necessary to, you know, if they're, if they're physiologically so wound up, we can't even make progress in therapy mm-hmm. until we kind of get them stabilized. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very grateful to have some local doctors that I trust that I can say, here, go call this person and she'll evaluate, evaluate you from a medical standpoint. I'm obviously not a doctor. Um, Isn't it so cool? I've always think that it's neat that God will allow you to go through something mm-hmm. and experience something. So then you have that empathy, that you need to be able to help somebody else because Absolutely. you have more credibility to say, Hey, I've taken medicine for this. I've mm-hmm. struggled with this before. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like. I know what that battle's like. I know what that shame feels like mm-hmm. and be able to speak into that. And especially with your position as being a therapist to have experienced some right. of that on, sure. on your own. That's just really neat. Um, I, I definitely, yeah, I can definitely, I think make a difference. It's made a difference for me when I've had therapists, I'm talking about something and when they just, you know, self-disclose even slightly and let me know that that they really get it. For me, as a as a patient, those have been some of the most therapeutic moments mm-hmm. of like, okay, like... You get me. Me too. Like, yeah. you too. It is exactly. not, I'm not, I'm not a freak or anything. Yeah, because I would imagine a lot of people when they find themselves in your office for whatever reason, there's probably a lot of those voices that say, something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. You're too much. Yeah. Your emotions are too much. Get yourself together. So, yeah, I can imagine hearing you say, yeah, I get that. Me too. Yeah. It's very comforting. It, it, like I said, for I hope it is for my patients. It definitely has been for me as a patient. Um, just uh, just that's, that's the thing about therapy that's different than reading a book. Like it's two humans in a room. And that's a very humanizing experience to, to just know that somebody is. And even if they don't know, that's the thing about therapy is having this other person that says, you know what, I don't know that exactly but it doesn't matter because I'm here and I want to honor you by listening to you. Was there any certain thing that helped you kind of get over that shame or how did, how did God, or is there anything that God used specifically to kind of help you get out of that shame of going, okay, I've, I've struggled with this. There's some medication that can help me with, that's helping me with this. Mm-hmm. What do I do with this shame I feel as a result of being told, oh, well, you don't have enough faith or why are you taking medicine for this you're yeah. fine. Get over it. You know, get your emotions together, that kind of thing. Um, it's definitely been, let's see, it's been about seven years now. And it's just taken time and taken little moments of, you know, even before I had patients, um, where somebody would, I don't know, just, um, I'd be in a conversation with somebody and the Lord just kind of was like, I think this is an appropriate time to, to tell them you, you take this. And it would just kind of, oh, and so I did. And it would just open the floodgates for some conversation, just genuine conversation about their mental health or their use of medication. And, um, uh, you know, as time goes on, we get more and more comfortable talking about the things when we get more and more comfortable talking about the things that are causing us shame. It's like we're shedding light on it and shame can't live in the light. Mm -hmm. And so the more we it's has light on it, the less it's in the dark and it's just, it just naturally shrinks. What are some of the best ways? Like, obviously you can tell from our conversation, we highly recommend counseling, Yeah. but (laughs) for those of us who are not counselors or not yet in my case, (laughs) (laughs) um, what can we do for our friends or family members who are experiencing anxiety or even depression? We'll talk more about that in a minute to support them through that. That's a great question. I love that question because um, that right there is empathy, even just that that consideration of like what it, what could help this person. You know, the biggest thing with any type of this is goes beyond anxiety and depression. Anytime somebody's going through something, the best thing we can do is just not dismiss. You know, um, you think about with a child. If a child is upset because their friend left them out on the playground um maybe to us uh, in our 30s we could whatever we can maybe blow that off but for that child that is that's huge and so I would imagine you would probably you know tend to that child and and validate how big a deal that was for that child and it's the same with other things and so for this with anxiety and depression um if somebody is telling you I'm feeling these things just to validate them of just like and being honest, saying, I've never had that. And I'm not asking you to say you've had it or that you really get it, but to just say, 
I hear you and I see you and I'm sorry that that's happening. And so it's not to give them that nobody is really needing advice or you to fix it, but just that listening, you know, the word listen means to honor. And if you just think about that for a second, that's pretty powerful that you're just, just listening to someone is bearing witness to their experience. And so that's one huge thing you can do for friends and family members is to just listen um, and validate it by listening um, and saying, like I said, I hear you, I see you. Um, Instead of like, you know, okay, let me Google how we could fix this. Or let me try to talk about an experience I had that really doesn't relate to this, but I'm struggling (laughs) to. That's so helpful in the moment, right? (laughs) Um, That's a huge thing you can do. Um, And then if they, and then say like, let me, if there's something I can do to help, you know, like I'd be happy to help you find resources you need. Um, Because that that can be hard for a person too, is knowing how to ask for help. Um, But kind of giving them that space to, to ask for that help as in the way that is not us like imposing advice on them. That's That's great advice. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about anxiety. Can you tell us a little bit about what is depression and maybe how it differs from the experience of anxiety? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite in its, uh, the way it manifests again in the brain. Um, but it's, they really go hand in hand. So depression is when you're limited on, uh, one of your brain chemicals called serotonin. And so, um, it's one of the happy hormones and when it's not fully there, I mean, things won't fully function, you know, if again, back to any organ, if you're missing a component of it, it's not going to function fully. And so when there's a a disruption in the serotonin receptors, um, it can cause what's called depression. Um, and it's, you know, anxiety kind of gives us a little more hyperactivity in our, um, sort of like uh, just hyperactivity. If you think of someone that's antsy kind of bouncing their leg depression, you're kind of the opposite. You're sort of more lethargic. Um, people have trouble getting out of bed, difficulty having any motivation to go to work, take a shower, you know, like even leave the bed. And so these two can go in tandem sometimes because sometimes somebody, when they're depressed, then gets anxious about everything they're not getting done. Or somebody who's anxious is so overwhelmed by the anxiety, they just get kind of depressed and do nothing. Um, So the two very commonly go hand in hand. Um, And so there's things, you know, there's obviously coping skills that can be done for both of these. Um, And then ultimately, like I said, like sometimes it's just, there can be seasonal things with depression that are like, you will be, you might be depressed for reasonably for, because something happened that would make sense. You know, someone passes away, you have a breakup, you know, there's things that it makes sense. Like this is a natural response. Um, But then it can be sort of a disorder if it's ongoing um, and not not receptive to sort of the basic like I said, coping skills such as exercise or whatever. And then it may be, like I said, time to talk to a doctor so that you can, you know, while you're getting therapy or counseling or doing these other things, you're at least stable enough to, you know, not miss work or not, you know, some things that are pretty big deals that you need to be able to function in. So someone may know they're depressed if they're experiencing those types of symptoms where it's hard to get out of the bed. It's hard to do the things yeah, you used feelings to enjoy. Of hopelessness. Yeah, don't enjoy. That's a big indicator. You don't mm-hmm. enjoy the things you used to. Okay. And so I hear you saying it can be kind of a situational thing that's probably going to be more in the short term or more long term. Yeah. So what I'm saying with anxiety and depression is that everyone will likely experience both at some point in their life. Okay. When they become uh, disordered, is when you may need to see a doctor, when something is, is going on longer than, um, say, uh, I, I want to say diagnostically, they say if it's gone on more than consistently for more than two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, I was thinking you were going to say something like six months. Yeah. What if you were in a season of life with the current pandemic went on weeks and and or you're a parent who is parenting young children but also having to care for your parents? Your whole life changes. It's longer than two weeks. Mm-hmm. Is that depression and anxiety or is it a season? This has been such a an interesting and sometimes sad thing for me to think about. You know, instantly when, when I started hearing about this 
COVID-19 things, before it was a national lockdown, I, I immediately thought this is going to cause anxiety and depression in people because you've got people in isolation. We are just meant, even if you're an introvert, we are meant to be around human beings. So that's going to cause depression. Um, you've got anxiety because the world is changing every day. You see all these things on the news about death. I mean, you, people are losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know a person who's probably going to come out of this the same. Um, and so I do think there will be a an increase in people who, who maybe their maybe their anxiety and depression will go away when things go back to normal for them. But I think there will be an increase in people who have a little bit more long term. Um, time of working on this sort of post-traumatic stress. I mean, this has been a worldwide trauma event. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there there will be an increase of people who are working on this kind of long-term, may not mean forever, may not be medicine forever. But yes, we'll, yes, more than two weeks of, of sort of trying to navigate um, what's kind of gone on, how their brain has responded to surviving this how important is it for someone to go to a therapist and is a therapist a first stop is a doctor a first stop how do you know where to turn first yeah I think um I don't think there's a right or wrong answer for doctor or therapist first I think a lot of um doctors may encourage it I know um doctors I've been to um like when I first got medication like she said I would I would normally have suggested you go to therapy before we ever did this, but since you've been doing that, I, you know, we can do that. So a lot of times doctors will um, suggest counseling or therapy before just starting medicine. You know, doctors are, are just different. Um, but it also has to do with access. Unfortunately, um, mental wellness, mental health uh, care is not easily accessible. Yep. I'll be the first one to admit that. That's right. Um, in Jackson, we're kind of blessed. It's honestly kind of a flooded market with wonderful therapists and all kinds of different options of fee prices and things like that. But in a lot of places, um, there might be one therapist in the whole town. And and even at that, it may not be something people can financially afford. And don't you think if there's one in the whole town, everybody's scared to go to them? <laughs> I think I would like to think so. I'd be like, I ain't going over there. Right. They they know everyone else. Exactly. (laughs) Tracy would say that with her (laughs) public figure self. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's not always accessible for multiple different reasons. And so for someone, if a doctor is more accessible or their health care insurance does cover that, that might be better than nothing of getting of having medicine to help them cope with their all their life stresses. What about your phone? You know, there are a lot of places now where you can just, like, dial a counselor or do a telehealth thing. Is that as effective, or is it is it preference, one-on-one? That has been another part of the pandemic that has been so interesting. You know, I really had no interest in telehealth before this. I mean, I just didn't really need to think about it. Like, it was, what you know, yeah. I don't know who does that, but it's not me. And... Then suddenly it was like, thank God this exists because everyone really needs counselors right now and I need a livelihood. So this is this is really working out. Um, but it definitely, I think, has opened the doors for better accessibility because if there is one, you know, you might not want to get the one counselor in town, but you could at least, you know, there's all these options out. You could at least call somebody else who mm-hmm. may not live in your town, but is a, you know, a trained professional that can help you. Um, obviously, I I would definitely, I definitely think there's something different about being two humans in a room, but something is better than nothing, you know, having, um, some kind of connection, some kind of access, especially like during this pandemic has been better than, than nothing, mm-hmm. um, for me with, you know, obviously my patients, but even my own personal counselor, um, being able to, to have a touch point of some sort. And so, um, this is definitely changing the kind of landscape for telemental health, I think it will become more prominent. Um, and I, th- I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it, it is going to be make things a lot more accessible for a lot of different people. Okay, so women, you mentioned this earlier, we're more emotional. God mm-hmm. made us that way. We have a lot of emotions. We also experience certain 
periods of time where our hormones are out of whack. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that may look like um, drastic mood swings Mm -hmm. for some women. How do you know when it's just, oh, my hormones are out of whack, Mm -hmm. something's going on um, that's causing my mood swings versus, I don't even know what question I'm trying to ask, but how do you know when a mood swing (laughs) is dangerous and when it's just go take a nap and eat some chocolate? You know, how do you distinguish between... So again, the answer to me is the doctor. Um, so from, if you're experiencing that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, a diagnostic criteria is something going on consistently for two weeks. So I would encourage someone to start making a log of what they're noticing throughout the day, like what their mood swings are, if they can tell something specific that triggers them. Is there something specific that makes them better, like a nap and chocolate? Um, and then looking at that over a span of two weeks kind of seeing if there's a pattern or you know obviously is it have to do with anything else that was going on um physically or externally environmentally um but ultimately again like if someone came to me and and was unsure of that again I'm going to send them to the doctor that's actually what I thought was going on when I initially got diagnosed with generalized anxiety I thought my hormones were out of whack and I asked her to check my hormones and that's when she said I mean I'll check your hormones but let me ask you a couple other questions and that was actually what was going on. And so um, when in doubt, um, I'm always going to ref- suggest someone to go to a professional. You know, doctors are trained. Your general practitioner is trained to assess for and differentiate those different things. Tell us about emotional health. Like what is emotional health and what could we be doing to contribute to good emotional health for ourselves? Yeah, a big part of emotional health is having what's called emotional intelligence. So part of emotional intelligence is having um, a wide knowledge of all the emotions, you know, not just being in touch with the good ones, the happy ones. Um, I think most of us have learned that emotions kind of go in these categories of good and bad and basically break down to happy and sad. And so we are perfectly fine to enjoy and relish all our, our joy, our happiness, our excitement. But when these other ones come along, we typically want to squish them. Um, we do not like those. We do not want to hang out with those. We do not want to sit with those. Um, and that's just not healthy. Um, that's not, that's not going to work out. It's going to come up later. You know, if you kind of picture, um, somebody in a pool kind of trying to squish down a pool noodle, it's only going to go so long before the thing flies up and hits them in the face. And that's how emotions are. Um, just because you don't, want to look at them or see them they will come out um and so emotional health is when we're able to when we notice those emotions coming up let them be there because honestly when you let an emotion just be there it doesn't last that long I mean it's once you get used to sitting you know being okay to feel that discomfort for a minute it really kind of just moves along to be able to you sit there and say like okay I'm realizing I'm really disappointed right now it's going to be gone in a minute as opposed to just get kind of like squashing and squashing and squashing all these moments of disappointment. They are going to erupt um, and they're going to spew all over the place. Um, They're going to spew all over you. They're going to spew all over your loved ones. Um, And that's just not, that's not going to help anybody. And so that's, that's a big part of emotional health is being able to get in touch with the whole range of emotions and be willing to honestly just accept them and realize that they're all, they're all okay. They're not, they're not good or bad. They're just all there. Mm-hmm. What if they hurt? You know, I think part of, you know, I don't know if it's society, but it, this ultimately comes down to the concept of suffering. And I think that society, and honestly, maybe even a little bit the church, has sort of... Um, we've skewed our view of what suffering means. You know, you mentioned your spider bite causing you to think, what have I done? Mm -hmm. You were, you were sitting, you weren't suffering and you immediately thought it was something to do with something you did. Um, and that's normal. That's what a lot of people think of like, am I just not praying enough? Am I just not having enough faith? And that does not correlate with what Christ did. Christ suffered. I mean, first of all, that's how he ultimately gave us salvation. Um, 
But then there's all kind of other instances where he suffered and where he sat with those who suffered. And so I think the deeper discussion maybe should be more about suffering and, and how the church looks at suffering and how the church can approach people and be with them in their suffering and letting that be its own just event and story instead of just trying to like almost placate it for it to pass. Mm -hmm. So then we can tell the story of the testimony of how we came through it and we're missing that middle part that is happening and that is, and it's not bad. You know, it's suffering like, is I, not. You know, you said you said the story of Jesus. It would be like, okay, he gets pulled out of the Garden of Gethsemane and then he raised from the tomb. Yeah, or raised from the grave. You know, and then it would be like missing the whole. We didn't tell the middle part, right? Yeah, because that was that yeah. was just yuck. Yeah, we yeah. don't want to talk about that. That part was significant. That part is was transformational, and that's the thing I love about suffering. That sounds so weird, <laughs> but I love learning about. St- digging into suffering because I think it is hugely transformational so many times in the Bible, you know, like the suffering in the desert of the Israelites, Mm -hmm. um, the suffering of Jesus when he went for 40 days. These were transformational things. And and that is to me part of sanctification and part of being more Christ-like is the transformation he does through suffering. I've heard so many times people who've gone through something tragic Mm -hmm. do say, I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't trade it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the things that they gained through their suffering were so much more valuable to them on the other mm-hmm. side of that suffering mm-hmm. and things that they would ultimately not have been able to learn, gain experience had they not walked through that suffering. And I think that's even going to be true for people post-COVID pandemic. Yeah, I think it's been terribly miserable for a lot of us, but I think it's also put a lot of things in perspective of time, people, things, money. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone wants to do it again, but I'll be surprised if people don't come out different. And mm-hmm. Yeah, Heather, you mentioned last time we talked about you are assessing what will be your non-negotiables when we go back to our new normal, you That's know, right. which you may not have had the time and the stillness to process had we not gone through this whole pandemic. Right. So So true. I think I love the correlation to the word of God because that is the overarching story of a believer's life. Mm-hmm. It's our God book. And even God, I, I've recently read Hosea and it, it's oh, a tough read. It is like, it is a tough read. And he is, God has had it mm-hmm. with Israel and he's like, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and you're going to get this and da da da. But then you get to chapter 11 and you see the heart of God come through and he's like but Ephraim how can I turn away from you now because I taught you how to walk and held you by the mm-hmm. arms just like a parent would mm-hmm. a child and he said compassion stirs in my heart mm-hmm. I will not do these things you know to you and it, to see I never thought about God being hurt right. you know I've thought about him being angry sure and I've thought about him being okay you know like because it's either like you said it's good or bad it's good mm-hmm. or bad but that emotion that he was hurt Mm -hmm. because his people turned away from Mm -hmm. him and he was processing that like a parent would right with a child and even the the great leaders of the old testament like david and elijah they all had that person come to them Mm -hmm. like there was nathan when david sinned and the prophet said okay well what about this and then david's like okay i did it i did it (laughs) but you know it it was that person Mm -hmm. and that connect Mm -hmm. to be able to work through those processes and you may not have that person in your family or in your friend Mm -hmm. group, which is where somebody who is educated and learned, and in your case, a believer, can come along beside that person and be like, okay, let's walk through this together. Mm -hmm. Let's come through this together. It's a biblical model of growth. Yes. You know, the book of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And to me, Word is a communication device. And thus, God is a a proponent of communication and so not just obviously we can communicate with him and communicate with others but to me it is very much being able to be in a therapy session can emulate being in Christ's presence because it is someone who is there wholeheartedly just to listen to you and give you that time and witness to you and witness to your suffering Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is extremely biblical but I think that 
ultimately that's not limited to counselors. I think we all have that ability to do that. And that's where we need to find that connection and bridge that disconnect of how the church handles suffering Mm -hmm. and be able to, to see it as a place to really, really serve our church body in their suffering. How do you think the church could go about doing that? That's That's a a great concept, but I have no idea how that could be brought to fruition. Because it's been so taboo for so long. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you talk about. You come to church and you just, you get better. Right. You're not supposed to, to do that. Um, And we say like the church is for the sick, not the healed, but but we don't, we don't, it doesn't always happen. Right. So, you know, one thing that makes it hard is not everyone is a, has the ability to sit with people in hard things because of our predisposition, mm-hmm. because of our personality. That might just make us want to pull our hair out. And so not everyone is going to be gifted in that. This is not a mandate for people that you have got to go sit with somebody in their depth, depth of despair. Um, but for those who do have that ability to to handle that and to, to be able to be there, that's a huge service that a lay person could do. Um, for people that are suffering or grieving, you know, if there was a ministry of just people who were willing to go spend time with people, like I said, I I just come to my mind of like a grieving widow or widower. That person is so lonely. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they probably want some casseroles, but they'd probably really like you to just come chit chat with them. Yeah. You know, that is something that a lay person can do exactly is to just be present for somebody who's having a hard time. Yeah, and I think the church has a lot of elements of that, yeah. but it may not be super fine-tuned to suffering and mm-hmm. to, hmm, makes you think. I think it's mostly because people think they have to have gone through it mm. or know how to help this person get better. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we say, like, okay, it's going to mm-hmm. be fine, you know, stop crying, mm-hmm. it's okay, it's okay. We give you a Bible verse in the best intention. Sure. You know, the absolute best intention, but when you've got that person who just lost their child, you do not need to hear there's a reason Oh, for this, (laughs) you know, because that person is not in a state of mind where that is okay. Or that's not helpful. So what I'm hearing is the call for us to show up, but shut up. Yes. Oh, that's good. I mean, yes, that's what I was going to say. It goes back to what I was saying earlier about helping family members with anxiety and depression. Just don't try to fix it. You don't need to fix it. You know, Mm -hmm. the person, the widow in their living room does not need you to fix it. She knows you can't, no one can bring her husband back, but man, that does a lot for you to sit there. Yeah. To show up. I also Mm -hmm. think I call them, this is probably, she's going to psychoanalyze me when I say this, but (laughs) it's it's like, I call them colander people because they're people that you pour and pour and pour into, and then they don't, they don't retain anything. Mm. So they're empty and then you're empty Mm -hmm. because you've poured into them. But I think sometimes in communication, just listening Mm -hmm. is the best thing you can do instead of trying to fix. Yes, definitely. Um, I'm telling you, listening is so underrated. It's, it's huge, and it's, I love what you just said, show up and shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a lot of what I do. I mean, I talk in my sessions, too, but, I mean, really, one of the most powerful things to do is just shut up mm-hmm. and, and listen. And listen, and and sometimes what will happen in me also helping that person be okay to sit in that suffering is there will be times of silence, and, I'd, and a lot of us can't sit with that. And so we're like, oh, it's silent in here. I need to say something. And I'll just kind of try to encourage people to resist that urge of you don't have to say anything. It may be uncomfortable. And honestly, you're doing a huge favor by sitting in that discomfort with that other person. But it gives us a lot of empathy of like, if I feel uncomfortable sitting in silence, how does this other person feel mm-hmm. that whose life just fell apart? It's like Peter. Let's build a temple. Or, yeah. You know, <laughs> the transfiguration. Right. Let's build something. And now we look at him and we're like, dummy. Yeah. <laughs> just be quiet. But, you know, we, we act like that. Mm-hmm. So what would you say to the woman who is feeling maybe very anxious or maybe very depressed? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe they haven't even been that way for six months or two months. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a new thing. Maybe it's something they've battled for a while, but they've never taken that step to tell somebody. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that woman who thinks, I can't tell anybody that I'm feeling this way. 
I need to just, I just need to get over it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Kind of maybe turning into self to go, yeah. okay, I need to get over it. Or maybe um, there's no one I can talk to about this. I feel so alone. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I would say you're definitely not alone. Um, obviously, there's myself and millions of other counselors um, that are here and ready for you wherever you are listening to this um, to reach out to, you know, and if there's also very various hotlines that you can call um, if you have nowhere to go, there's hotlines that will help you find someone in your area. Um, But I would also challenge listeners who, who do experience this and who have gone through all the things we talked about today. I would want to challenge, I'd like to challenge you to, experiment a little bit with being a little more transparent um, in your experience because you have no idea if somebody will see you write about that or hear you talk about that and then they will see you as sort of this beacon of like well I know I could go talk to her Mm -hmm. because she won't judge me because she's been through it that's so good and wouldn't you think I know there are some people that don't have anybody Mm -hmm. but maybe wouldn't you think that probably it's more likely that you think you don't have anyone you can text or call or sit down over coffee with and say, I'm experiencing this. I'm feeling this way. I can't get my act together or whatever it is. I just feel like it's probably more likely that you're believing that you have nobody, but there actually is somebody that you might could trust to just say, hey, I'm feeling down. I believe that's a big tool of the enemy too is isolation. Always. Yeah. I, you know, trust has to be earned. Mm -hmm. So, so we don't know that they have somebody, but it is so common. Sometimes I wish I could just um, I start like an anonymous support group for all the people that are in isolation because it's like I'll see um, all these people who are all in the same community um, feel so isolated. And I just think, gosh, if I could just connect you with this other person who feels isolated, like yes. you would be great. And I obviously can't do that for various reasons. But um, the church could, you know, y'all don't have HIPAA laws. So if y'all wanted to start some sort of support group you could and um I would definitely want to ensure the most safety for those people um but that's that is something you can do you have you have a building you've got emails you've got you've all kinds of resources you could do to start sort of like a little open door of people that they already or have access to because you go to church with them and there's no cost what are some things that we can do whether we're battling anxiety or depression or whether we're not I know you said at some point in our lives, we'll likely all face Mm -hmm. that at some point, whether we are currently or not, what are some things that we can all do to just keep our mental health healthy? Yeah. (laughs) I think uh, one thing that can be helpful is journaling, whether that's you have a fancy diary or you pull up a note on your iPhone. Um, that's a, that can be super helpful in us trying to like make sense of what we're experiencing, make sense of our thoughts, become self-aware of what's going on. You know, a lot of times you might write something and then like look back a week later and be like, Oh, like now I see why I was doing that. And so, um, I think that is a huge thing. Yes. Walking, being outside. Um, but emotional health, I think journaling can be a huge help in letting people kind of get stuff out. Like I said, you could, you could tear it up. You could go back and read it. Um, but that can be really helpful in helping people make sense of things and become more self-aware of what they're feeling. That's good. It's a journal. And I guess eat right. And the occasional Twinkie. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm such a comfort food person. (laughs) I don't don't know if I'm supporting that one. but (laughs) (laughs) Um, Journaling. Journaling. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I will go with that. When I first started like really, really journaling, I had to make a decision that I was going to be honest on my page. Mm -hmm. And that was so vulnerable Mm -hmm. because I'm like, it's written down. Mm -hmm. And what if somebody finds if somebody find, like seriously, if something happens to me, my sister knows to go get them and destroy them before <laughs> my parents see them. But you know, just yeah. but it's so yeah. honest mm-hmm. and it's so cathartic to do that and get it out of your head and onto a page where it has a yes. new place to live. That's right. Something that helped me, I kind of want to know what you guys do for that works to help your personal mental health. But for me, like I remember when I was going through really hard time just in my life 
I would love to like leave the office and go to the gym and go to Zumba class and just kick it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I would feel so much better after <laughs> just sweating it out of yeah. my body. But Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, running, exercising can be a great way to get out that energy. But so can painting, drawing, mm-hmm. singing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, there's no one size fits all. So that's another part of the exploration process is figuring out what works for you. Right. Yeah. I have been eyeing this punching bag. Ooh. I really want one. The only obstacle I cannot overcome is the aesthetics of where it lives. <laughs> <laughs> I can't Let me find a good that place out, for it. That would be also, my obstacle too. <laughs> but I want it so bad. But the thing that I do is writing. Mm-hmm. I have, I don't always want to, but when I'm really focused on getting better, writing out my thoughts and for me being an Enneagram too, which we talked about last time, like I want to help people. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to go through this, like, let me Mm -hmm. package this in such a way that maybe it'll help you too. So I'm writing, not just for myself, but writing for other people and for their benefit, maybe to go like, Hey, anybody else feeling this way? Mm -hmm. And, uh, nine times out of 10, it's. Me too, you know, and I think. But also totally want to encourage ugly writing. Um, <gasps> that I don't want, don't let that get in your way. I like pretty writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't let the ugly work writing stop Do you from. Do the ugly work first. Yeah. And then, then you can make it pretty. Yeah. Well, I hear you. What do I you like you. doing, Tracy? I, I'm a journaler. Journaler. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I do, do that. that. Too. I write prayers. I write everything down. It just helped because I'm single, so I don't have like a partner to bounce things off of or anything. So that is my connection to my God Mm -hmm. is doing that in a way where I can stay focused because I'll be in a Hallmark movie and, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, we were talking about that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it really helps me focus to sit down and just put it all out. And it's so random. There are some pages in there. I'm like, if somebody reads this, they're going to commit me because it's like, (laughs) I start going one way and then I think about something else and I go down there and it's just these, some of them are so random thoughts. It's not pretty, but some of it is beautiful. But But that's kind of what happens in counseling is Mm -hmm. like these threads come out that you're like, where in the, what, what is that? (laughs) How do we, great. My 45 minutes is up. And like, I, I don't even know what this was. Right. And so, yeah, you're, able to do that at home um through writing because obviously you need more than one 45 minutes a week to mm-hmm. sort out some stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it helped me too even with with my whole why why, I, why didn't you heal me you mm-hmm. know and actually asking that question yeah. and I felt so small mm-hmm. when I asked it but I needed to ask it yeah you know I needed to get it out and be like did did I do something wrong mm. you know and I remember writing that so small because I didn't want to say it I didn't want to disappoint mm-hmm. God or make him say, well, if you just had this much more faith, la, 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 mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but just getting it out and realizing that I felt that way almost helped me kind of process where that was in me. And then my kind of released him. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say that spouses are not built in counselors. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that's a great. I was just thinking oh my the gosh. same thing. Like, because. I mean, like in my marriage, like my husband has a lot of his own stuff and he has a certain level where he's kind of hit his limit on how much extra listening he can do for me and my stress because he's got a lot of his own. Like Mm -hmm. he's about Mm -hmm. to be a resident at UMC in the middle of the pandemic. He's starting Mm -hmm. in the ER. (laughs) So, so he, so, and so I realized like one of the reasons I went to counseling was like he was there and all, but there was only so much he could do. And it was helpful to have a third party person who it was their job to sit there and be solely focused on me. for I a love whole that. Hour. And I think yeah. sometimes we place that expectation on our spouse yes. right. that they can't meet that expectation. No. They can't be all that we need them to be. And exactly. they weren't designed to be that way. And so, yeah, I yeah echo nothing that against them. That's mm-hmm. just not how it's meant to be. Therapy yeah. has been for me a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I, and I say that with, hundred percent confidence. Like mm-hmm. I know that God used therapy to purge so many things. And had I not gone, because that's the thing, we think that certain issues are the issue and then you get in therapy and realize that has nothing to do with the actual issues. And so um, I would not have ever really realized that apart from that. And so I can't speak highly enough about therapy. And, um, and I would just say two things just as encouragement for those listening. One... Don't be afraid to go see um, 
a therapist because I think a lot of times we don't want to afford the cost because you mentioned Anna Maria mm-hmm. earlier. It, it is. It is. It can be expensive. But we spend $55 mm-hmm. on magnetic eyelashes. <laughs> Someone just sent me that the other day trying oh, to yeah, sell no. me some. And I want some of those. Yeah. I do too. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we, we invest yeah. right. where, where we, we want, want to, to invest. Yeah. Right. And yeah, therapy does not sound fun. It's not probably going to be fun. But it's, it is an investment, and I would just encourage anyone who's on the fence about, do I go, do I not? This is silly. I can just handle it on my own. Just go. Yeah. Just make the investment. Treat yourself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of insurance covers a lot of it, if not mm-hmm. all of it. And also there are discounted places like Reformed Theological mm-hmm. Seminary's right. Counseling Center. There's students doing the counseling, so it's deeply discounted. So there mm-hmm. are cheaper ways to do it as well. Yeah, and contact your church. I yeah. mean, that, yeah, that would that would be contact them because likely they have a list of referrals and um, even maybe some resources that they can help put behind allowing you to see someone who is trained in that. So that would be one encouragement. And then the second encouragement I would make for those who um, have been battling anxiousness or depression and they feel isolated and they feel like they can't tell anyone. I was just kind of thinking like maybe for those of us who may not be in that right now but maybe thinking through just our friends just to send out a message to maybe even say like hey I don't know that you ever may feel this way or not but like just so you know if you ever feel this way I'm here for you yeah this time especially it's it's interesting to me to watch mainstream media and by media I mean like advertisers Mm -hmm. push that message to check on your friends Mm -hmm. more than faith-based do if you'll watch the commercials and the marketing of the companies i mean budweiser has a commercial that they bring back the what's up thing and it's and at the end it's like seriously how are you man at the end of the Mm. at the end of the commercial because they're like check on your buds you know and that it's funny that you have budweiser doing that but you know the maybe not the same push from some of the faith-based communities because we're supposed to be okay. God's got this. So yeah, maybe just consider putting out a PSA to your, to your friend group. I don't know what yeah, that looks yeah. like. I mean, just yeah. this popped in my head, but just to be able or to who say. Who is the person that popped into your head that you haven't talked to in a while? Mm-hmm. That's one of your friends. Just send them a text, mm-hmm. check in. Yeah. It's something that simple. And sometimes, you know, you don't just think about somebody for no reason. About to say, mm-hmm. yeah, usually and when someone's on your heart. Absolutely. And no even if you they don't respond at least you know you can you can follow up and say like hey just Mm -hmm. thought about you You came to my mind Mm -hmm. how you doing Mm -hmm. or even just say hey if you ever are struggling like just know I'm here Mm -hmm. and you can text me any hour Mm -hmm. and there are some there are some close friends that I know that have battled that and and I I want them to know that Mm -hmm. because I've also been in that place where I felt like I didn't have anybody that I could tell that I was struggling Mm -hmm. and especially coming from the the side of being um, in ministry Mm -hmm. being a pastor's wife like who who do I go to who do I who do I reach out to right and that and not that I'm special but that's those are the lies that the enemy tells you like well you can't tell anybody that you're struggling with this no sure they won't understand and so um, I think that's just the lie that a lot of us believe and so it's not true Mm -mm. there's somebody (laughs) and if you need a therapist Anna Maria I'm um, here. People can yeah. contact you. Where are you practicing right now? Did you say that already? Um, no, I am in Ridgeland, Mississippi. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. So if, if you're in the right central Mississippi local. area, you can get in touch with Anna Maria. Yeah. And we'll I put also some provide telehealth. Ooh. <laughs> Add that to your resume yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you think you'll continue doing? Yes, I plan to. Okay. I, I just signed up for the um, like official certification. So you'll be in person and telehealth. Mm-hmm. You'll have those Good options. That's awesome. So, yeah. I think a lot of uh, businesses and organizations will find themselves offering mm-hmm. the in-person and, and online mm-hmm. versions of everything they do. Yeah, and it, it's just, I even had the thought today, like, man, this opens up the opportunity for a mom who can't find a babysitter. She could call while our kids napping right you know it just it really opens up a lot of accessibility that's awesome I love that we'll we'll put how people can get in touch with you um, in our show notes something we like to ask all of our guests is what is something new that you're loving it can be literally anything an accessory a product you know whatever what are you loving these days we bought some outdoor furniture (gasps) and so having we have a tiny little yard but we have a little patio and we bought this furniture, and it just feels like we added a room onto our house. And I hope it 
we can still hang out there depending mm-hmm. if it doesn't get too hot. But mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like the coolest kid on the block with my patio <laughs> furniture. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Where did you get it from? Uh, overstock.com. Really? I've been yeah. shopping Cannot there. recommend that I'm enough. I'm looking for some more patio furniture. Yep. They, that and I've been fair. looking on there. Yeah. They have so many... So it's many cool things. Awesome. Yeah. I've totally outfitted the whole thing. For Look at you. And it has been really pretty. Yeah. The been. weather during this pandemic, at least here in central Mississippi, has been Wonderful. such a amazing. Gift. So yes. incredible. And I wonder how much that has helped our mental health. Right. Just to oh, have that ability. I've thanked God for that so many times because mm-hmm. April hardly rained, which is normally the rainiest month. Mm-hmm. And that's been such a gift to let these people walk around outside. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, when they don't have all the lakes closed and everything. But we're past that. Yeah, we're, yeah. <laughs> so. we're moving on. Okay, well, you're going to have to send us a picture of your patio furniture. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I can. I also, the other thing I've been loving is um, I got a pet bunny during the pandemic. A pet bunny? And I, his name is Levi. And oh. we're having a big time. I don't know what I'm going to do when I have to go back to work. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Okay. Aww. Did you just find him or did you purchase him oh yeah no I am a big bunny fan and um so I there was a group on Facebook of like Mississippi bunnies for sale mm-hmm. and wow. so I found him and I went and got him Aww. so can you like play okay. with him and stuff oh yeah I'll show you videos of me and him <laughs> snuggling this morning oh that's all awesome. bunny. So that's what every okay that is everyone's additional therapy is yeah. get a snuggly get, get a bunny oh yes yeah. a big proponent of pet uh therapy yeah. yes my, my dog just judges me she's not good for <laughs> <laughs> she literally side eyes me constantly and judges my life choices i tell her it's none of her business she doesn't listen yeah. <laughs> that's so funny well thank you so much for joining us today yeah we thanks really for appreciate having you, you coming out thanks for joining us for this episode of the 517 life podcast We hope this episode made you feel a little less alone if you've been struggling with any of the things we discussed on today's episode. We want you to know that your feelings are valid and you are not alone. If you're looking for a therapist, you can schedule an appointment with Anna Maria Dempsey, whether you're local, in Mississippi, or looking for a telehealth option. You can find Anna Maria's contact information in today's show notes. Also, if you need someone to reach out to, we want you to know that Tracy, Carrie, and I are here for you. You can find us on Instagram at 517lifepodcast. Share this episode with a friend and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a minute of life.